welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is mike fridge from titanium capital investments welcome mike thank you so much i really appreciate the time to be with you today rama Yeah, thank you Mike. A little bit about Mike. Mike started investing in real estate 21 years ago when he built his first multifamily property. Since then, he and his wife Leanne have 2.4 million of personal real estate under management. Mike has unmatched passion for real estate because it provides him with the amazing opportunity to create generational wealth, great opportunity for their investors and give families more time together. Mike believes passive income through multifamily real estate investing provides the most powerful thing in the world, time and freedom. Mike is a national collegiate leadership speaker and the author of five collegiate best-selling books. He has spoken to over 250,000 students and faculty giving them tools and strategies to take their leadership to the next level. With that Mike would you like to add anything to your background? Man, uh, that that ought to do it, Rama. You covered it pretty well. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been a passion to over the last years to to travel the country and inspire people and how that translates to real estate we'll get into today but no that is that's good i really love what you said there about a passion i really love to give people the passion to live financially free so many people live whether that's paycheck to paycheck or wondering how that next uh, what the what next month's going to look like or whether may as the saying goes worrying about having too much month left at the end of the money and uh, i love to to help people connect them with a path that can give them that financial freedom because there's so much a uh, mission that can be done when we get the where's my money coming from. And once we get that handled, then we can get onto our mission and that's why I love. So I love real estate. So excited to talk today. Awesome. Yeah. So how did you get into real estate and multifamily, Mike? Yeah, so I grew up in a family of builders. Uh most of my family, my dad was an HVAC guy uh in the HVAC union. I grew up in Michigan, a little t- uh, small town of 3000 people in Southwest Michigan, and um my dad was a uh, HVAC guy and I'd go on jobs with him and my aunts and uncles, numbers of them had their builders license and so in the summers I was always working on job sites. So I met the love of my life in middle school actually. We ended up getting married really young at age uh, 20 and right before we got married, we started building building a uh started building a duplex um I I watched my family kind of leverage rental property growing up in fact the house that we lived in was kind of a multifamily it was a single family home but on the property was this tiny little house that came with the property and I watched my mom and dad rent that house out and it paid a lot of their mortgage and I thought wow that's a cool idea we call that house hacking that's a cool idea when you're just starting off uh to do that and so when I we were just about to get married I asked my mom and dad to help me get a loan again I was only 19 my wife and I were just about to get married had no money <laughs> and no clue and uh we built a I but I didn't know how to build uh because I had grown up around builders and so I built on nights and weekends I built a a duplex and we lived in half rented the other half out lived for about 100 bucks a month in a brand new place and uh and I was off to the races and so after that though this was where it kind of gets a little weird because after that I I went back to to college to get my education at age 24 almost 25 and so I was kind of non-traditional I started a business when I was 20 building houses I was a, I was a contractor and um sold that business to my partner and went to college uh, to be a minister and uh and took about a 8 year break and didn't really start investing again until 2012 and so it was about 8 years ago I really my wife and I were uh, I took a 
job uh, in Southwest Michigan. And my wife and I did the same thing. We found a duplex, bought it, lived in half, rented the other half out, lived for pretty much free. And then another duplex came for sale and we we invested in that and kind of pieced a little portfolio together in Southwest Michigan of about 15 to 20 units in two units, two to four unit buildings. And uh, then I really started getting a taste that real estate was really thing that would add a lot of freedom. And so um, over the last 10 years, since about 2008, I've been, or I'm sorry, no, it was also about 2012. I started traveling the country speaking full-time and traveling the country speaking full-time was anytime I would, we would generate revenue, we would invest that into real estate. But I always knew real estate would be kind of the path. And then when COVID hit this year, kind of had the opportunity to take a sharp turn. COVID hit and the speaking industry was affected drastically. I went full-time with real estate this March. Um, and I know that's a uh, really new, but we've uh, amassed many, many units this year and uh, loads of, of investors um, are, are interested in investing all because of just that that energy. And so kind of got started young, but kind of grew, grew into more of an obsession. Awesome. And thanks for sharing that. Mike, so what markets you're focusing on? What is the reason, Mike? Sure, sure. Good question. So we're focusing on three markets. I like South Bend right now. It's a unique market. Um, it's got kind of a steady, um, it's uh, got a st- steady market. It's a real steady kind of flatline market in the sense of it's all the surrounding cities are growing. There's a lot of people moving into the city. Notre Dame is investing a lot of money into that city right now, about 50 million bucks in the, over the next few, you know year or so. And so I see a lot of uh, the cap rates starting to decrease, value starting to go up. Um, occupancy rates are continue to be on the rise there. And because I was from Southwest Michigan, I kind of, uh, a portfolio came up. I bought that portfolio and then it just kind of dovetailed. So that one was kind of more by accident. In South Bend, and the other two markets are Atlanta and Dallas. And those, the really, I look for really three things in those markets. I look for job growth, I look for population growth, and I look for landlord-friendly areas. So those three are kind of my kickers. And I know a lot of people are like, well, aren't job growth and population growth kind of synonymous? And they're really not, because sometimes you can get a population growth, and it could be a retirement community or something where it doesn't necessarily equate to job growth. And so I go population growth, job growth, and landlord-friendly which is why I kind of have chosen those three sta- those three markets specifically. Not that those aren't the only one. Um, I mean, Greensboro, uh, South all both of the Carolinas right now, Florida, those are solid markets right now. But those are the three that I'm, I'm looking at right now. Good, good. And what is your acquisition strategy? Yeah. So the acquisition strategy for me is uh, I kind of have a, a bro- it's certainly a broker strategy. So um, it's a multifaceted af- approach. The first thing I do is I, I build a property profile. And so when I'm going into the acquisition game, I think one of the things real estate investors miss when they go into a, into the, the real estate acquisition game, they, they just are trying to get any property that's a good deal. Well, I'm, I understand why, but I find it better to build what I call as a property profile. And what that means is what type of property, what class of property, meaning not just the asset class, but also the class of that asset, meaning are you doing multifamily? And then is it a C-class property, B or, or a, a property, or even D properties if that that's kind of your your cup of tea. And so so you build a property profile that's, that tells the brokers I'm looking for this type of property in this type of area, this many units or this this type of revenue, heavy distress, heavy value add or kind of stabilized. By building that property profile, it allows the broker to know when to call you. So when 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 a multifamily a, a really good that's really what I focus on is multifamily. When a multifamily property hits a broker's desk, 
how will they know to think of me? Well, the way I like to make sure that happens is through a property profile. I let them know I'm looking for properties, 80 to 120 units, $100,000 a door, depending on the market. I'm just picking numbers here. A, a, a C-class property in a B minus area or whatever. And when I give people that, and I know that people are like, yeah, but what if another property comes up and it's not in your profile? Believe me, I've gotten a lot more properties because I have this profile and brokers know when to call me. For example, a couple months ago, I was sitting, sitting at my desk and I got an email from one of my brokers and it said that the subject line read, this property has your name all over. And I opened it up, great looking property. I ended up buying that property. But how did he know that property had my name? Because I gave him a property profile that let him know this is when you need to call me, when these types of properties hit. And then once I have that property profile, I sprinkle that throughout the entire country to as many brokers as I can. And that's really, so connect, building that profile and then getting it in the hands of as many brokers as I can is the way I really have started that acquisition process and how I really manage it. Awesome. That's a great answer, Mike. And how do you raise capital for your deals, Mike? Yeah. So I actually, I have done a little bit of, there's a term in real estate called wholesaling. And some people may have heard of that on your podcast. Wholesaling is when you pretty much find an off-market deal and sell it to a fix and flipper. So you basically just charge a little wholesale fee, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30,000, whatever that is. And you hand that off to somebody who's going to renovate the property and sell it with enough room for them to make money too. Well, that's a, there's a, in that phrase or in that industry, it's called, sometimes people call it reverse wholesaling. And that's where you go and you find somebody who is a buyer. So you go find somebody who fix and flips properties and they tell you what they're looking for. Then you go find them a property. You do it in reverse. You find the buyer first, then the house. Well, I've kind of applied that to raising capital. I actually, instead of going and finding a property and then going and finding investors, I go and find investors and ask them what they're looking for. And I go find that asset. So I might go find a couple investors. You know, I'm working with an investor now in the middle of a 1031 exchange. And I said, listen, tell me what you want to do. He's like, well, here's how much I have. Here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I need. Like, okay, no problem. So then I go find a property that fits their capital. Now I try to work with that model. You have to either find a couple investors that are interested in the same asset or find investors that have enough money to do that asset on their own. For example, somebody has a half a million bucks and you can say, okay, plan on about a 30% down payment ratio with 25% down, 5% for fees and acquisitions and all that kind of stuff. So we say, okay, let's say for 500,000, I can find a $1.5 million property or a million dollars. I can find a $3 million property or whatever. And so I find the money and then go find the deal. And so I do it a little bit in reverse. Now, how do I find those people with money? There is no one answer. Uh, Jack can Field was asked one time, how do you, you know, uh, or he asked another man one time, how do you fill an event or like a live event back when we had live events? And the person said, I don't know one way to fill an event. I don't know one way to get 50 people here, but I know 50 ways to get one person here. And the point is there's no one way to get investors, but the underlying principle of all investorship in raising private capital is through the currency of relationship. People invest in people that they know, like, and trust, especially trust. Because in the investment game, people People are much more concerned with the return of their money than the return on their money, especially the older they get in the investment. Um, you find people in their 30s and 40s, they're a little bit more aggressive. You find people in their 60s, they're a lot more uh, risk averse and they're a lot more um, careful on what they invest in. So for me, I find my investors through relationships, through referrals. When somebody invests in my deal, I the first thing I ask them, hey, do you know anybody else who may be interested in a deal like this? Oh, you know what? My dentist and I talk or my, I know this XYZ person, they may be interested in investing. And then they go from there. So the first thing is 
is one of the things that people don't think about when they start raising capital is if you have not been raising capital for a living and people don't know you as a real estate investor, maybe they know you as an engineer or they know you as a, an accountant or a lawyer and you're going to start investing in real estate, raising capital is going to be weird for people that know you because they're going to be like, wait, I thought you were an engineer. I thought you were a lawyer. So part of raising capital is what I call, you have to rewrite the narrative of how people know you. You have to rewrite the narrative of how people know you, meaning you have to start helping people see you as a real estate investor. So that means every time now on, I'm talking to my, my dentist or my attorney or my friends and family or pe whoever, I'm talking about real estate, not my W-2 or whatever. I want them to see me as a real estate investor. So that's a long answer to a short question. And the first thing I do is I make a list of people in my inner circle, my friends, family, and close contacts and colleagues that maybe I, I make a list of those people. And then I just start talking to them about what I'm doing. I'm not asking them to invest anything. Um, in fact, here's a question I've used over the years. When you go up to somebody, instead of asking them to invest in their deal, let's say I'm talking to you know a buddy of mine and I say, hey, John, do you know of anybody? I just bought, found a piece of property. It's a really good real estate investment. It's going to yield an XYZ return. It's a really good property. I'm looking for some people to invest. Do you know anybody that might be interested in investing in this deal? And a lot of times what they say is, well, tell me more about it. I might be interested. But I didn't ask them for any money. I asked them for a referral. And they ended up saying, well, why don't you just tell me about it? Because I want to know. And so instead of asking them for money, I asked them for if they would know anybody. And it's a good way to kind of take the awkwardity out of it. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a word, but take the awkwardness out of it. And, uh, and, and instead of saying, hey, will you give me money? It's, hey, do you know anybody who may be interested in investing in real estate? And then that, of course, piques their interest. Awesome. And thank you. That's a great answer. So what challenges you faced in acquiring and managing the properties? Yeah. So, well, I can tell you this, the biggest mistake I've ever made in real estate is is hiring the wrong property management company. And everybody has their own property management story gone wrong. I don't know if mine's good, better or worse, but I'll tell you, it was not a good one. I hired, I met uh, this, I found this company online. I kind of vetted them. They had some pretty good reviews online, called the owner, talked to the owner, said, this is what I'm looking to do. Okay, yep, everything looks good. Send me over some, some information, send them over the rent roll and all the stuff they needed to kind of look through the portfolio. They looked through it. Come to find out the owner of the property management company didn't even live in the same state. and. Uh, it was a horrid experience. Now, why do I tell that story? Because managing property, that's my biggest mistake and challenge um, is finding good property managers. Now, because of that experience, it's led me to learn some of the primary questions to ask property managers on the front end, like their systems. How do you communicate? What do you say? You know, what do you do when something breaks down? What is the system for that? Do you just fix it or do you let me know? Or is there a limit that you go up to before you call me? All these questions matter. And so my greatest challenge, especially as a new investor years ago, was finding and managing good management. And over the years, I found that that's still one of the most important things, because even if we find a good property and we underwrite it well, and it's a perfect property, unless we manage that property well, we don't make any money. And so finding uh, that good manager is incredible incredibly important so that um, so that you can actually realize the numbers that you put into your underwriting. And so for me, my greatest challenge was finding and working with managers. And the way I found to remedy that is finding the questions and learning now to say, I'm not going to work with people that I at least don't have a referral from. Um, I'm not going to work with, with mom and pop shops if I'm going to use a third-party manager. A lot of times we buy bigger assets. And so what if you have a company, and this is a mistake I made, I had a company managing, you know, 
70 units and I brought them a portfolio of 30 or 40 units, well, that's over 50% of their inventory. That'll buckle their system. And so knowing what the pro how many of the man uh, units the property manager is managing and how many you're bringing them and making sure that's proportionate, can they handle another big asset? And, and so for me, my greatest challenge was management. And the way I remedied that was learning the questions to ask on the front end to make sure they could handle uh, my asset and making sure their management style fit what I was looking for. Cool. And so would you share any of your best apartment investment experience so far, Mike? Yeah. So one of the things that I um, I love about multifamily is I love the economy of scale. I love that you have multiple units on one footprint of property. I love all those kinds of things. I recently looked at a building where I get there to the building. One of the beautiful things I get there, it's making good money. It's a good, it's cash flowing. And I look and they're paying for a hundred percent of the utilities and they're all separately metered. So when I find that, this is a really good experience for me. When I find that I went back and it took me about three minutes to run it through a calculator of what I would get in forced depreciation by transferring that utility money back to the tenants and just having it in their name. And the forced depreciation was far above my down payment. So I'd be able to refinance that money out years in two, three years. That was an instant, I'm making an offer, made an offer that day and got it accepted that night because I saw a, I saw a real powerful value add. And then th that was one of my first apartment buildings where I really started raising capital. And that was one of the few times where I made an offer on a building and I had no investors. I'd never talked to an investor before in my life. And so that one put me under the gun and I had to raise money and it was a stressful time. But going through that situation taught me how to talk to investors, how to keep, how to find money, how to, it really taught me resilience, taught me kind of a, the grit it takes to, to manage multifamily, but it also such a powerful experience. It was really fulfilling. I built a network that way of lenders and brokers, investors, because I just dove in. Cool. So what is your current focus and share something you're excited about now, Mike? Yeah. So my current focus is continuing to expand the multifamily game, is continuing to acquire buildings and in uh, really high markets. I'd love to move. We're moving to hopefully to Atlanta. Just got an asset yesterday we're looking at. And um, so that's the first uh, thing I'm in focusing on. One of the things I'm excited about is I think with the COVID, with the effect of COVID on the, the just the commercial real estate game as a whole, we're seeing assets change what they're being used for. For example, one of the things I think that is going to happen if we can get construction costs to a reasonable state, I think we're going to see some of these office buildings repurposed. And so I've looked at two, three office buildings looking to turn them into apartments and um, are getting quotes on them right now. So one of the things I'm excited about is some of the opportunity that exists in some of these empty boxes and turning them into apartments and creating a powerful asset out of uh, something that's not being used very highly right now. So that's one of the things I'm really, really, really excited about. Awesome. So any one advice that impacted you, Mike? Oh man, <laughs> the advice that impacted me, I would say some of the advice that impacted me the most was real estate is the thing there you, you have, there's four things you need. You need time, money, knowledge, and deals, right? So you need time. You need the time to do it. You need knowledge. You need to know what you're doing. You need money and you need deals. Those four things. What I learned is partnership in real estate. Partnership is the name of the game in multifamily, right? Yep. On those four things, you can have people that have 
the one person doesn't have to have all four. You can have one person that doesn't have any money, but they have the time to go do all the due diligence and, and they have the knowledge to go and do all that, but they don't have any money. Then you can go find the investor that maybe has the money. Then maybe you have a deal provider that has the deal and all of those people can come together and put a deal together. So one of the things that, that the best advice I have is you don't have to have it all to get a deal done. You just have to bring one of those pieces of value to the table and that gets you an equity stake. And so if you're going to come into a deal having either the time, knowledge, deals, or money, that really is what places you at the table in the multifamily and in any real estate syndication game. But that is one of the biggies. And so that was one of the, the, the key pieces of advice I got early on is you don't have to have all four, but you do need to have one or two. Yeah. Awesome. So any one book that impacted your life and what way? Oh, yeah. So I'll give you two. Uh, the first one, of course, uh, probably mentioned multiple, multiple times. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was a huge, uh, a huge uh, benefit to me. I read that book. Uh, my wife actually read it before I did. And she's like, man, you got to read this book. So I read the books. Fantastic book. I really changed my mindset. Then the second book is a book by T. Harv Ecker. It's uh, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. And it really talks about how to think about money and um, how to think abundance-minded rather than scarcity-minded. And uh, those are the two resources that I would really say, man, everybody just read through those resources. They're really, really, really powerful. Cool. Yep. So how are you giving back to community, Mike? So my wife and I, it's really uh, our, uh, we're really involved in, in our uh, church and we give a lot of money through our church that goes to helping people in need, helping people that don't have food. We have food pantries and cloth pantries and things in which they can come and get access to those things. So those are really important to us. And that's how we give back. And I think that's a great question, first of all, because I think part of the reason we do this is in order to help people, right? I hope that's a big reason. And so uh, that's one way. And I love to uh, connect with, with people in our, our church community and making sure they have what they need. That's a, that's a huge, huge fulfillment of our mission. Yeah, awesome. So how can listeners can connect with you, Mike? Yeah, you can find me at titaniumcapitalhq.com. That's titaniumcapitalhq.com. You can also find me on YouTube. Just Google or uh, just go to YouTube and Mike Fritz. I have a YouTube channel. You could go and look at some videos there. I've got 40 or 50 videos, training videos. I also have a podcast called Power Up Real Estate. You could tune into that as well. So there's multiple ways. Please reach out. I'd love to hear from your listeners of what they're doing in real estate. Awesome. And thank you, Mike. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much, Rama. I really appreciate it. And everybody that's listening today, I really hope you can take this and go and start investing in real estate and making a difference. Have a great day. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message, info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.